0: we are downtown we are historic we are family we are scriptural we are first baptist church in the room you may want to turn with me to this page in your worship folder with the sermon notes and the text. We're going to read aloud together, Mark eleven fifteen through 18. If you're at home, you can read along with us. This is Mark 11, 15 through 18, and I'll be reading out of the New American Standard Version. So if you would, in the room, would you stand and let's read aloud our text for the day. This then is the text for today. Then they came to Jerusalem... AND HE ENTERED THE TEMPLE AND BEGAN TO DRIVE OUT THOSE WHO WERE BUYING AND SELLING IN THE TEMPLE, AND OVERTURNED THE TABLES OF THE MONEY CHANGERS AND THE SEATS OF THOSE WHO WERE SELLING DOVES. AND HE WOULD NOT PERMIT ANYONE TO CARRY MERCHANDISE THROUGH THE TEMPLE. AND HE BEGAN TO TEACH AND SAY TO THEM, IS IT NOT WRITTEN, MY HOUSE SHALL BE CALLED A HOUSE OF PRAYER FOR ALL THE NATIONS? but you have made it a robber's den. The chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him, for the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. May God bless the reading of his word. In our text for this week, Mark 11, we are just a few days from the great Passover celebration, an enormous Jewish festival when families from from all over the country, in fact, families from all over the region would descend upon Jerusalem. In fact, uh, one of the great ancient ancient historians, Josephus, now uh, let me preface this by saying he was often known for a little bit of exaggeration and hyperbole, but he said there were times that some two million people, would descend on Jerusalem for Passover. Maybe it was, maybe it was hundreds of thousands, but there were many who came from all over the known world to come and worship in Jerusalem. And the pilgrims who who came in, they, they came honoring their family, they came honoring their God, and they were going to participate in the Passover sacrifice. And they came in in such numbers that Herod actually had a huge courtyard constructed to help house all these pilgrims that were coming into Jerusalem. And so then as as you move from there and you, you move forward in the temple complex, you walk into this massive expanse of festivity. So when you you think about the courtyards and you you think about the temple, we need to think bigger. Most of the time when we think about this, many of us just kind of picture our own worship settings and then maybe a little bit more. But the temple complex is nearly twice as big as the Alamo Dome. And so you can remember, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are coming into Jerusalem to worship. This is a massive expanse, nearly twice the size of the Alamo Dome. And they're all coming in and they're they're festival booths throughout the grounds selling all kinds of things, From food to live animals. In fact, there, there's one story from Roundabout Jesus' time that, that tells of one entrepreneurial young man who came in and he came with all of those people and came into the temple and he brought 3,000 oxen so that he could sell as a part of the sacrificial system. That would be a mess. I mean, could you imagine trying to wrangle and sell 3,000 oxen in the midst of all of those people? In fact, imagine kind of walking to a football game at, at the Alamo Dome with, with 3,000 cows with you. Right? It would, just, it would just be a mess. It would be impossible. But this is what this guy did. And that, that became a part of the fabric of the Passover celebration is that you could make your money while you were there, too. And we know for sure there were sheep pinned up, oxen that were wrangled to the side. There were pigeons in cages, dove right there for all the people to come by and purchase. Literally and figuratively, the temple had become a zoo. But for many, that was a good thing. It was a good thing that the temple had become a zoo because this, this week of celebration at the temple, they were, they were to, to bring their sacrifices with them and when they're traveling from all over the region, it was just so much easier to, to buy them there and, and then go through the, the sacrifice with, with the, the sacrifice that you bought at the temple. That's where all of this came from. And people were there to, to worship and enjoy themselves and so they were going to make the most of it in that way. And Jesus too, he looks like that he's going to enjoy this week. He comes riding in just before this is the triumphal entry. Jesus comes riding in as a grand parade. People are singing and praising God. And he's riding through and they're, they're waving their palm branches all to his glory. It is a beautiful day and all is well. But we know there's more to the story. That Jesus comes into Jerusalem with people everywhere. And they make their way up to the temple, and Jesus sees all of it, all of them making their way into the city and into the temple. It's filling up, animals being herded into position, and the temple being readied for this massive worship that's ahead. And our reverse text this week began at Mark eleven eleven. That's what we've been reading together all week long, and, and Mark eleven eleven it says that Jesus comes in and he looks at all of it, and it's late, and he just leaves. He got out of Dodge when he saw what was going on. So he turned around, he walked the two miles back out to Bethany, and that's where he stayed the night. Now the government was concerned too about all these things that were happening, even, even in that expansion um, that seemed to be for the Jewish people. The Roman government built what was called the Antonia Fortress as well. It was in the northwest corner of the temple, and it stood this great Roman fortress, a tower that overlooked the temple grounds that housed up to 500 Roman soldiers with easy access to all the Jewish people who were in worship that day. See, the government was quickly closing in on the people as they worshiped their God. They were looking down as if from on high, but that wasn't the worst of their problems. The worst of it was within the temple itself. The priests were wicked. At the front end of these festivals, they were taking bribes from these people that were selling animals in the courtyards. You know, a normal pilgrim would come and be welcome to bring their own animals for sacrifice, but most didn't because they traveled so far. But the poor especially would bring their own. And so imagine something like this, a poor woman coming into worship on Holy Week and she's carrying a dove. Now sheep and oxen were the normal sacrificial animals, but for the poor, the sick, a woman like this, a widow, a dove was allowable. And so here's this woman walking into the temple with her dove that she brought with her to come into worship and to sacrifice before the Lord because that is what she had. And she walks up to the priest to prepare for the sacrifice, but the priest would say, the dove is no good. In fact, the priest would find something wrong with it because he had taken a bribe from the merchants and he would send this poor woman out after he disregarded her dove. And she'd be required to go and and purchase a dove from one of the merchants in the temple courtyards. And she's already poor and the priest is sending her out to the wolves. And as she wades her way through all the traffic to someone selling doves, the merchants were known to triple the price in these festival holy days to make extra off a woman like this, and the priest was in on it. These sorts of practices have been documented for over a hundred years. And most of the people there, most of the people coming in to worship, most of the people coming in to the festivities around uh, around the temple, they had grown to just get used to being taken advantage of. They, they had thought that being taken advantage of in this way was normal, and that's just the way it was going to be, we're just going to have to be taken advantage of. But not everyone believed that, and certainly Jesus didn't believe that. And we know this story of Jesus well, but it, but it isn't the only ancient story of, of temple protests in these scenarios. In fact, there, there's other ancient Jewish uh, sources who speak to this time. There's, there's one story. It's quite a bit before Jesus' time. But there's this, this Jewish rabbi that had seen the, the similar things and was upset. And so he brought in all of his students into the temple. And he gave them all lemons. And he said, when the priests come by and the priests are going to take the sacrifices, you just pelt them with lemons. And that's what they did that. They, they all just stood there and threw lemons at the priest's. It didn't work. They all just kept on doing their business. There's several other stories, too, that right around Jesus' day, there, there's a group of, another group of rabbis that persuaded all their students to get together, and they went and cut down a large golden eagle on an entry gate of the temple in protest. Another rabbi, too, was disgusted by stories like the dove story that we're telling here. And he went and he just blocked one of the temple entrances and said, we can't let this happen anymore. everybody just walked around him. And so he realized he couldn't block the entrances, so he's going to go and do something good. And so he gathered up his students and he said, you know what we need to do? We need to go and buy all of the doves. And when we buy buy each one of these, we're going to hand them out for free to the people that need them. And that's what they did, but nothing changed. The whole process was a mockery of what God intended. They had made worship and the temple something else, something evil, something that took advantage of God's people rather than leading them into worship. And there were a faithful few that could see the hypocrisy. I mean, Jesus was disgusted. When he, he comes in, it's, it's part of this passion narrative, right, As he's, he's coming to the cross. He walks in the temple and sees all of this. And he, and he just leaves. But then he came back. He came back the next day and dis- demonstrated who God is. He came back the next day to d- demonstrate what the Christ was about. He came to demonstrate real change and a way forward. You see, you recognize that day as Jesus came into the temple that he is going to demand truth of his people and he's going to demand truth today. You you cannot hide the truth of your actions, and you cannot hide the truth of your heart from God, and that God is always going to move forward in truth no matter what. And Jesus, he came in, and he was going to bring truth to God's people that day. He was going to bring truth into the temple and bring truth into that celebration that day because that is what they needed. Jesus was going to take care of the house of God. And by take care of, I don't mean nurture. I mean he was going to come in wrath and the judgment of God and take care of them. See, Jesus didn't care that literally hundreds of Roman soldiers were just down the way. Truth was going to be proclaimed. He didn't care who was watching. He didn't care who was in front of him. The truth of God was going to be spoken in that place that day. You know, we can can lie to ourselves all we want about our motives and about who we are, but we cannot lie to God. In fact, Jesus coming in and flipping these tables can happen in our lives in an instant. And in fact, we know that God disciplines His children and moves them forward in faith, and that discipline of God can come quickly and swiftly in our lives. When Jesus holds up truth in front of us, Something happens. Something is transformed in us so that life becomes new. You know, this whole passage is linked to Jeremiah chapter 7. It would do you well to read Jeremiah 7, at least the first 11 verses. Uh, Go and read that sometime. That Jesus in this moment as he's flipping tables in the temple is not only demanding truth but he's also demanding purity in the house of God that the people of God will be pure and holy by, by the way of his spirit and he's demanding purity in this place of worship you see the whole the whole people had developed a sense of security in this perverted system of sacrifice. They had just become comfortable, and they were just going to let things be the way they were because they were comfortable in it. They didn't want Jesus to come in and be disruptive. They didn't want Jesus to come in and, and reveal truth and demand purity because in that way we become insecure and uncomfortable. But that's exactly what Jesus did. Calling for the repentance of the leaders and the repentance of the people for letting it go on for so long. And that message of repentance is reverberating through the centuries where Jesus is calling his people to their knees and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think it's important for us to recognize, too, that in in our current climate where we're dealing with the, the pain of a virus and the pain of pandemic, both the economic frustration and the physical frustration of it all, and and we recognize and we hear from our black brothers and sisters that they are in deep pain and the world is unsettled and the world is shaky, that we seek the truth and we demand the truth. You see, so often in all of this you get a conglomeration of, of people's uh, opinions and somebody's slant and, and, and they just want you to hear what you want to hear. But seek the truth. Who is God calling us to be? Who is God demanding of his church to be in the pain of this world? When everything else is so uncertain around us and unsettled around us, there is a hope in the rock of the gospel. And the the church is to be a place of grace and hope when the world is unsettled. May we be that today. We're we're not trusting in in people's opinions. We're not not trusting in in any any activists or or any of the the media's uh, program for how this is going to to come to, to some sort of conclusion. We are going to stand on the truth and hope of God. And so will you seek it, will you you commit to yourself to seek the truth in all of these things? To not be steered away in your own comforts, but to find what God is doing and get to work with Him. And to seek your own purity in Jesus Christ. Jesus is demanding truth and Jesus is demanding purity. And as a reminder today, so often in our lives we think Jesus is demanding purity of them. And while that may not be true, that's not what we need to hear. What we need to hear is Jesus is demanding purity of us in the same way that he's demanding purity of whoever they are. We are all called to a a repentance in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, that we might be made whole and right again. You see, Jesus pushed through all of this, through all of the chaos and through all of the festivities and through the, through the zoo that had made itself within the temple. Jesus pushed through all of it and demanded truth of his people and purity from his people. And even that was only secondary. Because this physical act in an ancient city was all pointing to the crux of human history. You know, every one of those other rabbis and prophets, they were saying similar things. They were doing similar things. You know, throwing lemons, tearing down gaudy gold, passing out free doves. All of those things are akin to flipping over tables. The real story here is the difference in Jesus' message from all the others, because Jesus has a message for his people that's different from all of those others and is set apart from all of those others. Now, before we get to that, we're going to get to that, that message in a moment. But before we do, we need to deal with purity and the Lord's Supper.